Welcome to the Adventure Audio Podcast. This is episode 152. We are discussing some listener reach outs, some emails that we've received, as well as the Crow's Nest Pass 100 mountain bike and gravel races, which are forthcoming in August uh, 5th and 6th in Crow's Nest Pass, Alberta. I'm one of the founders and event directors of that. And we are discussing how it sort of came to be and all of the work that goes into putting that together. So if you're a participant in events or if you've ever been involved in helping put on an event or a race director yourself, you'll probably find this one interesting. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you're able to give us a positive rating or review on whatever podcast platform you're finding, that helps us reach new listeners. So thank you for doing so. Thanks for spending some time with us. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company, who you can visit at statebicycle.com. State's been supporting the pod for a long time. We love State. They're awesome. The best way to follow along with what State is doing and what they've got going on is to give them a quick follow on social media. So it's State Bicycle Co. And they've got all kinds of new stuff coming out. They're constantly doing like limited editions and collaborations and stuff that is uh, maybe more seasonal. So you definitely want to give them a follow and know what they're up to. And they've recently released a road frame that looks absolutely amazing. Uh, that is carbon fiber. So that's new for state. So check them out. You can also use code audio 100, which will give you a hundred bucks off a bicycle and they have bikes starting at 399. So that is a significant discount. So it's statebicycle.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Dewar Apparel. That's D-U-E-R. D-U-E-R dot C-A is where you can visit Dewar. Uh, They are a Canadian brand, very keenly interested in sustainability and they have some of the most awesome looking and comfortable clothing that I have ever seen. It's like a performance apparel um, with a little bit of a uh, dressy spin on it. It's awesome. They have stores in Calgary and Vancouver and you can visit them at doer.ca. Very, very pleased to be working with them and the team there. And lastly, the podcast is brought to you by 4i Technologies. That's the number four and then the letter I four times.com. So 4i.com is where you can visit them. And 4i, if you don't know them, are a major brand in cycling and uh, they are involved in the world tour. They create power meters, heart rate monitors, all kinds of very, very cool tech. They're located close by to our hometown of Calgary, Alberta in Cochrane. And uh, so pleased to be working with 4i. We've mentioned this before. Uh, Very, very stoked. We're going to bring you more information about 4i. We're going to have some cool product giveaways, power meters. So stay tuned. Very pleased to be working with these organizations and uh, and having them support the podcast. Lastly, thank you everybody for listening. If you're able to give us a positive rating or review on whatever podcast platform you're finding the show, we greatly appreciate that. Help That helps us find new listeners and it's really the best way for a podcast to grow. Positive ratings and reviews and uh, just word of mouth. So thank you again for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Hey, have you been following some of our previous guests like Kyle Britton? who we, uh, we had on a couple of episodes ago. He has been chasing tornadoes in southern Alberta. He had a day there uh, last week where he had multiple uh, tornadoes that he encountered. I mean, some of them were, um, I think they're called, what do they call them, land spouts? Um, so sucking up masses, massive amounts of dirt, etc. Uh, et so he's been, uh, and he started a YouTube channel since we had him on, and he's been, uh, he's been killing it. So... Um, uh, if anybody wants to check out Kyle Britton's episode, a uh, very interesting guy, um, former Weather Network uh, personality, and now he's got his own uh, YouTube uh, channel, and he's uh, he's killing it out there. He's getting some fantastic uh, weather images. And then uh, Hell's on Wheels, Helen Dainty is uh, making her way through uh, the Middle East, heading to Cairo. So right now she's uh, in Israel. She's been there for weeks now 
touring all over the place and um it's been uh it's been really fun to follow her and we've promised that we're going to get a hold of her as she's riding from Cairo to Cape Town that's her next sort of uh major leg of the trip so that'll be really interesting to go down the uh east coast of Africa and uh so uh yeah so some of these uh these people that we've had on the podcast are pretty fascinating to follow and uh Helen's uh, an incredible photographer too oh yeah yeah. beautiful instagram page yeah yeah it's and she's always having little adventures right she had a serious tire blowout the other day and she's just she's really fun to watch and um i'd highly recommend that you guys go check out hell's on wheels hell's dot i think on wheels but helen dainty is her name and she's uh basically riding around the world last time we spoke to her she had over 70,000 kilometers on her saddle that she was using and i'm sure she still has the same saddle so I'm, um, my guess is she's probably over 85,000 clicks by now in that saddle. So pretty amazing what you can do on a bike. And she's not just like, not just riding around the world, but you say it as though it's like with a purpose and a finish, but that's not, there is no, no purpose and finish. No, she is just riding around the world. That's like how she lives, which is. She's on a, on a walkabout, but on a bike. Yeah, it's, it's, that's her life. And uh, wow, love it. It's pretty, it's pretty inspiring and um, fascinating to watch. Totally. Yeah. And I just have so much respect for people who um, don't comply to sort of convention. They're just like, yeah. why, why can't I live like this? Of course she can. So yeah, it's pretty. And then add on the complexities of being a, being a, being a, a woman solo traveling. So you add on a whole another layer of, of complexities and, and um, assumptions that people make. So it's uh, yeah, she's a really interesting lady and uh uh, I'm so happy that I was able to bump into her an old man that day just randomly. So it was meant to be. Yeah. Or as yeah. or as meant to be as anything is, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's like we were talking about the paddles. I got some good the the pinball paddles. I got some good feedback from uh from that last week. That seemed to touch a touch a chord with a few people. Uh, yeah, good. It's, uh, good. It's it's true. It's true. We can all we can have people who are paddles in our lives and we can be paddles for people. So that's, that's pretty cool. So yeah, thanks for everybody who's been reaching out too. So it's adventure audio podcast at gmail.com. Um, that'll come right to me and I'll always share everything to Laval and we'll always be responsive. But uh, for people who've been writing in and asking questions and stuff, that's uh, super cool and we appreciate it. So I actually, because you alluded to it, I had a few people um, say that they're excited to hear about, uh, what went into building the Crow's Nest Pass 100. So, and you're wearing your hat too. Great races, hard races. We can talk about that today. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that actually is the, is the start of the story is that it's, there wasn't like a really, really tough single day mountain bike race in Western Canada that, that I could find or know of. And I was always sort of enamored with, um, with the Leadville Trail 100. I haven't raced it. I haven't had a summer that it worked out for me to be in Colorado for a week. So um, one day, one day, it's still a bucket list event for me, but there was something about, it had a real mystique, not just because of its elevation, but because it's this cool old mining town and community and and just the way that it built really slowly. Um, and uh I was really into that and I, I felt like something like that would be cool and popular here. So that was, that was kind of how it started. And then I guess I thought I was thinking about it for literally years. 
about where, because there's so much that goes into that, right? Like we live in a really cool part of the world and there's places that you would think outwardly that would work well for that, like Jasper, Banff, Canmore. Um, but they kind of don't. National parks are very difficult to, to pull these types of things off in. Um, and they and they probably should be. Like there's an awful lot of consideration taken uh, towards um, the environment and the way that people are interacting with wildlife and crowds and numbers and all of those types of things. So, you know, it needed to be something that was sustainable. Like even the Banff Grand Fondo uh, doesn't happen anymore. Um, and that's on the road, you know, but it's just too, it was too much to ask, I think, of the parks and um, didn't really work anymore. So as cool as some of the places that we have are um, and the trail networks and stuff like that, it just didn't really click. Uh, and then, so the origin story is I was actually driving home from uh, Southern BC in, I guess it was like fall of, uh, 2018. And I was coming through Crow's Nest Pass and it was like a bluebird day in the fall and just all of the colors and stuff in the Valley. And it literally like hit me like a beam of life. Like I was like, this is the place, this is the place that we should be doing this race. So, um, I need to give a specific shout out to the United Riders of Crow's Nest Pass. So the United UROC, U-R-O-C, United Riders of Crow's Nest, are a group of uh, cyclists from Crow's Nest Pass who are awesome. So they they have some retired uh, folks in their crew. So I think some engineers and geologists, very smart people who really understand um, navigating permits and processes and stuff like that. And they have built this incredible uh, trail network um, and community really in Crosness Pass. And I met those, uh, some of the leadership of that group when I was still doing the bike shows uh, in Calgary and Edmonton. And they came to be an exhibitor to tell people about the area as they're trying to grow tourism, uh, particularly centered around mountain biking. So um, I knew that that existed. So I reached right out to them. And then as the next time I was coming back through uh, the pass, probably a month later had coffee with them and started putting plans in place uh, for the following summer. So, but it's funny how you, you build something sort of in what you believe is like your image and that you want it to be, but then it takes on its own life. And it's so the, the 2019 edition of the race was more uh, was more road, not road road, but more, there was more gravel, dirt. We were, originally I was thinking we should be more like a hundred miles and, um, like a bigger course, um, more like Leadville actually, which is not a technical ride really at all. It's, um, by all accounts, I've seen obviously the really famous, uh, race across the sky movie, which if somebody hasn't seen that, they really should. It's pretty awesome. Um, beautifully shot, uh, and I thought that it should be something like that. And uh, it was in our first year or closer to that in our first year, which was 2019. Uh, and then we had to take COVID off, unfortunately. And then we came back in 21 and uh, 22. But the race evolved. And because of the area and the trails that they had available to us, it became something a little bit different. But um, my, my partner who I also need to give a shout out to this, who's my cousin, he's my business partner in the bike race. Um, and I use the term business really loosely. It's very much a hobby business. It's not particularly profitable and nor do we, I mean, Hey, if, if it can become that one day, great. But if we, we have never approached it with that lens, uh, probably to our detriment and sometimes, but 
it's more about building the right thing. And, you know, you kind of think of all the, the cheesy corny statements of people like, Oh, just build it with love and the money will follow. Like, we'll see, (laughs) but we've definitely poured a lot of love into it. Um, but he said to me, he's like, look, you built it. It was your idea, but now it belongs to the people who come and race, not to us anymore. Right. And he made it, that was actually a great point and a, a life lesson for me. So my, my younger cousin, Sasha gave me a great life lesson there when he told me that, because it's true. It's not, it's not ours anymore. Now it belongs to the, to the community and it belongs to the people that come in and compete at it. Right. So it became a much more technical race. And I fully confess, like I, there's sections of that mountain bike race course that I walk. It's just so technically challenging, both up and down. Like it is brutal, especially particularly one trail called Big Bear, which anybody who has been down there and ridden or raced in the Crossness Pass 100 is nodding in furious agreement right now. It's so tough and you get way up there and way out and it's really, really technical and tough and not actually my favorite kind of riding in some ways. Um, but you get to some amazing views and stuff like that, but it's black terrain, like definitely black and double black. And there's some really hairy, gnarly, steep stuff. And it's when you have the, the multiple challenges at once where it's really steep, really tight turns really loose like it's all of the tricky things kind of all at once that's where i like i'm like okay i clip out i can deal with two things but not four things at the same time. yeah yeah not without busting my collarbone or my wrist right so but that's what people want to ride in western canada like we've got the north shore we've got the bow valley and there's like re- and brag creek obviously and really highly technical stuff. And mountain biking has changed from when I was in my early 20s, when we were mostly riding on, you'll remember, mostly just old hiking trails, right? Like Wearing hiking boots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oftentimes. <clears throat> and um, and that was a, a riot. But now there's features, and it's just way more technical and skilled. And bike tech has come a really, really long way. But people grew up riding this technical stuff and they can do it so we and we should use those trails they're they're the best trails there they're incredible so that's sort of the that's a long way of telling you the evolution of how we came up with our current race course so what we did was we we built um another shout out uh troy missinger who is the uh owner of crow's nest coffee company who's been one of our supporters from the beginning he won the first race and uh is a local and an absolute hammer and an incredible bike rider and super technically skilled and an awesome guy. And we tasked him with coming up with like the most premium 50 kilometer loop that he could using local trails. Cause we, we, we had some ideas of what we'd like it to do. Um, but Troy was perfect for that. So he sent, he set out to do exactly that got nearly exactly a 50 K loop from the past powder keg lodge, which is their, cool little ski hill there that we take over for the weekend and create a little festival around it. Um, so we had a 50 kilometer version of the race and then we had the hundred kilometer version of the race because two loops of it is brutal. And it's really fun to see people come through the transition area and kind of think about like, Oh my God, I have to go out there and try and do that one more time. Cause it's a, uh, it's a real reckoning. It's way different than doing a hundred K course because you're out there. You can't do anything about it. So it is a real gut check to, to have a snack and snap back in and go do your second loop. So that evolved. Um, 
and uh, it is a brutal race. Like we've had some pros finish it and just be like, that is legit. It is really, really, really tough from a physically, from an endurance standpoint, it's really, really tough. And from a technical riding standpoint, it is really tough. You need to be heads up all the way around. But then that evolved even further to because we, Sasha and I spent so much time out and about in the backcountry and on all the cool roads and stuff out there. And gravel's a thing, as you know, gravel's kind of blown up. So we're like, well, look, we're already here. We're already here. We're, we're here all week. We're doing all this work. Um, why don't, why don't we have a gravel race on the Sunday? Also, because it's, you know, mar- not marginally more work. It's, it's, but it's not double the work to do a second race. In fact, it's it's significantly less than double because A, we're already there. So we've already done a lot of permitting and research. We can really tack that type of permitting on to what we're already submitting, uh, both municipally to um, Transportation Alberta, to like uh, the parks that we go near and by and conservation officers. There's a whole bunch of things that we need to consider and take care of. Um, and you've spent a ton of time in the outdoors. So you know that that's... You know, there's always a whole bunch of stakeholders, right, that we need to consider, including locals that whose properties will go by and stuff and that we need to make make aware of what we're doing. So, but all that being said, it's on the road. So it's really significantly easier to sort of put together than um, all of the trail that we have to access because all of the trail needs to be marked with pin flags um, and you can't do that with a car. So it's mostly done by foot um, or by Sasha on, on mountain bike with uh, like a quiver of pin flags. Um, and he's going out and marking it sort of the week week of leading up to where the gravel loop, we can literally just jump out of the car every couple hundred feet and put another pin flag in to make sure that people are staying on course. So we built this really amazing 53 kilometer loop that uh, takes you deep, deep into the backcountry. So this is a race that you've done. So I want to hear your perspective on it in a second. And we offer that race um, in three different race distances. So one loop, two loops, three loops, which is like a hundred miles. And it goes up two really, really massive climbs per loop. So if you do it three, three loops, you've got six massive, loose, very steep and very long uh, gravel climbs. So, and then, We've also now added, uh, because the trail network is so incredible there, uh, we've added a 30 kilometer and 60 kilometer race to the mountain bike side. And that allows, that's using all, so it's the same loop. It's a 30 K loop, but it's using all green and blue trails. So if you're, if you love mountain biking, but you're a little less into, um, the really, really steep and technical stuff then that's, it's perfect. And again, we're, we're already there. So we, obviously it's a little bit more work. We need to mark some different trail, but it, I guess this is a long way of me saying I had this vision of this one big, huge single day mountain bike race. And that somehow evolved into us offering seven different race distances, but selfishly we need to do that to keep it economically viable. Right. So we need more participants in order for us to sort of build out the race and be able to do more things and be able to afford to do those things without losing money every year. So we did it that way uh, partially, but also because maybe a couple are going down and somebody wants to ride a hundred miles and the really, really tough stuff, but maybe somebody wants to do 50 K on gravel the next day, or you go with some buddies and, and then you can also have something that you can sort of aspire to, right? If you start slower and build up. And then we also had, uh, you met a couple of these people last year. I think we had three 
or four people do the 100K mountain bike race and then the 100-mile gravel race the next day, which those people are badasses. But uh, yeah, that's so that's sort of the... Um, that's the Coles Notes version of how the entire race came together. So I can, you can uh, pick away with questions about how some of those logistics work and uh, some of the things that freak us out leading up to it, which are a bunch. So yeah, a ton of questions about uh, starting a race. I mean, you said you're driving through the Crow's Nest Pass and this beautiful evening, this beam of light came out of the clouds, angels sang, you decided That's you're going to like, yeah. start this race. And then you mentioned that you, you, you found this group of, of uh, people in the, the Crow's Nest Pass area that had familiarity with the backcountry bureaucracy is I think the way I would sum it up. And there must be a ton of that. So what was your first move though? I mean, uh, you decided you wanted to run a race. You decided on the Crow's Nest Pass. Is that where Sasha, your cousin lives? Is, is Crow's Nest? No, Sasha's from Canmore. So that, I mean, we had been pretty focused on the Bow Valley um, for a while and trying to figure out potentially something there. Uh, then we also looked at Southern BC. We thought about Fernie. Um, I actually kind of prefer, no offense, BC. I kind of preferred to keep it in Alberta. We're Albertans. And I just like that felt sort of a little mm -hmm. more right and better. Um, but Crow's Nest is actually, number one, it's a real sleeper still. But two, it's really starting to be, I don't know if gentrified is the right word, but it's definitely evolving a lot as a community. It's a very old mining community. Um, very famous for, uh, it has a very tragic past, um, starting with the Frank Slide, which I think was 1913. So, I mean, and listen, anybody who's coming down to, to want, that wants to bike race, like bring some friends or family, even if they're not bike riders, because it is a really cool place to spend a long weekend. Like you can definitely find lots of neat things to do. So the Frank slide was uh, turtle mountain uh, collapsed uh, like a third of the mountain collapsed and it absolutely obliterated the, the valley below, including the town of Frank and uh, buried everybody underneath it. And so you can imagine uh, over a hundred years ago, this was not uh, in an age where news spread very fast. So it took days for people to, really understand what happened and for proper uh, attempts at a rescue effort to happen. And then it took them years to clear the rubble and get the train going back through. And um, I mean, it is, it is uh, something else. It really is. And it's, it's there. I mean, the highway goes right through it and you can't not see it when you drive through on uh, highway three going West as you, which you've probably driven many times and probably cycled a few times too. Um, you drive right through the rubble of the pass and it is, it reaches way up, the other side of the valley like it is unbelievable um and then there was also the hillcrest mining disaster which actually killed more people than the frank slide and i think that was like 1928 i should have written this stuff down now somebody can fact check mm -hmm. me but it's around there uh where there was a mine collapse and a, a huge loss of life uh as well but because of its proximity to the u.s border it also has a rich history of rum running and uh gangsters and it's just a really really cool area um uh, and, but it's got, so our, I guess step one was to, oh, I should also mention that our gravel race actually rides right through the rubble of Frank slide. Mm -hmm. You actually get to ride right through That's it, right. which, uh, yep. which is really, really, just have really to leave neat. the pavement. Yep. Yep. It's pretty special. Um, I didn't even know that road was there that, which parallels the highway. Um, so step one was to, to, was to connect with the, uh, the guys and gals at UROC and just see if it was feasible and if we would sort of have their support too, right? Like, 
Um, we're not locals. I, I like to think that we're we're all neighbors in the world, and they're certainly not far. But um, but we're not locals, so that was step one: is to um, build some relationships there and hopefully gain some credibility and have people know that we were in it for the long haul. We weren't trying to. You, we, I've definitely seen events that feel like pop ups and like a bit of a attempt at a bit of a cash grab, and uh, they don't they don't have legs and don't end up really becoming sustainable. So that was the main thing: is like, hey, we have we actually know what we're doing. We used to, we've run Grand Fondos, we've run bike shows. We both have had professional careers that have lent the, um, themselves to being really good at managing logistics and processes and kind of building the whole thing properly, right? Like we're, we're not hacks. <laughs> we're not coming here to be hacky or do a hacky event, right? So that was step one is build some of those relationships. Step two was to understand what kind of permitting uh, processes were going to be involved because no matter what your intentions are, if you can't get that stuff on board, it's you know, you're dead in the water. You're not going to get anywhere unless, unless it's feasible. So, um, provincially municipally, what do we need to do? Our road closures, equipment, etc. Um, and then what parks are we near? So we're near one provincial park castle. Um, we need to consider that. And then, um, over the last three, four years, we've also made some good relationships with the conservation team, uh, down there too, which is also important. So you need to have people understand that, uh, you're, that you're professional and and that you can do all of the things. And that process has gotten easier with each passing year because they, now it's kind of plug and play. We have courses established and we have some processes established, but you know, for emergency response and like we have, we hire an ambulance, but what if something's beyond the ability of the ambulance? What's plan B? What's plan C? What's plan D? This is all yeah. stuff that speaks to you imagine. sure with expedition oh you can of course you can imagine I mean, you've been on large expeditions where you need to consider people's but now with hundreds of people of various levels like cranking around a very remote course i mean and the and the i mean face it i'm uh i mean i'm not uh i don't want to be uh, grim here but we just had a professional cyclist die a few days ago on a descent on a paved road in the tour de suisse Gino yeah. Mater. And, uh, on some of the descents on your race, on the gravel race, you are flying. Like, um, after that first climb, you go over that cattle guard and, uh, you are coming down at a very high rate of knots, as we'd say in aviation. And it's, uh, I mean, there's, there's, it's steep and you're at some time, uh, at points, you're obviously by yourself at, at points as the race stretches out. So, it, it, there must be insurance considerations. And of course uh, you did say that you have, and I did see that there were first aid personnel and a lot of volunteers around, but you know, good for you guys. What a, what a massive challenge to put this thing on. And um, you alluded to the fact that I had ridden the race and I have, I can't ride it this year because we're going to be gone to Europe for our um, 25th anniversary. I guess I could, I guess I could ride it, but I won't be married if I do. Um, yeah, I, and, I would stay, I would stay married <laughs> and ride it next year. That's probably what I would do. <laughs> But it is a fantastic race, super well organized, an incredible course, very challenging. I didn't do the mountain bike course. Um, I th- I came third, I think, in the uh, in the in you the did. gravel race. But but there's a huge caveat there. The two guys who beat me had ridden the hundred k mountain bike race the day before, so so I may have felt good about coming third until I realized that these guys had a hundred K of hard mountain biking in their legs from the day before. And they still beat me. It is a seriously good race. It's one of my favorite bike events I've ever done. And what I like about it is the fact that it's got this mix of long grinding climbs 
fast ascents and then some technical stuff. And it's just a, a really in a beautiful part of the world, like breathtaking part of the world. If you, if you're not out there to race and keep your nose down low, like right on the stem, you can actually get some very beautiful scenery and, um, yeah, it's, it's truly a, a great race you guys have put on. And um, I, I, the challenge of it and the the number of days you must put in ahead of time, when do you, when do you start? Like, when did it start this year? The, the planning and the actual, when is that, when does that kick off? Three months before the race, two months before the race? It starts the day after the race, really, is when yeah. we're, we're renewing the rental of uh, past Powder Keg Lodge and communicating with the municipality and with um, uh, conservation officers and just saying, here's the dates, following year, how much can we get ahead of? And then then from there, we have sort of a like a lull, right? So mm-hmm. um, where there's not a whole lot to do other than try and sell registrations, right? So we work on social media and just try and be aware and uh, get posters in bike shops. And it's been a lot of slow, grindy, organic growth. We haven't thrown piles of money at it because we haven't had piles of money to throw at it. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. We even if we Even if we could have... 700 people this year we wouldn't want 700 people we need to grow more responsibly than that to give ever to deliver the kind of experience that we want to for people it needs to go a little bit slower than that because it doesn't scale that easily suddenly you need you don't need one ambulance you need three like it you know it's not it's not quite that simple it's not a linear right like the growth of an event like this isn't linear there's sort of um it's more like tiers like we can do the same process for 200 to 350, but then the process changes completely after that. We need to do different types of things, right? So, um, and then then from there, yeah, then we get deep into permitting and making sure that all, that all is sort of buttoned down, which you can only get so far ahead of. They want to wait for some things. Um, then we get really deep into um, course planning, uh I mean, shortly after that, our courses are going to be largely similar. Book everything else, though, too, right? So we have multiple checklists because it's so easy to forget something small, like, or that seems small at the moment, right? But like booking porta potties, like, you got to have those booked. That's going to matter. So there's a whole bunch of little things that we need to do. Um, Where do we source the paramedics from? They're not in Crow's Nest Pass. Where do we put them up? They need to stay over. There's all these like little little loose ends that we need to make sure are tied up because we don't only want to provide a great experience to the people racing, but anybody who's volunteering and gracious enough to donate some of their time to help us put this thing on um, or any of the community supporters. And that's, that's who we really need to give a shout out to is the citizens and businesses and organizations in Crow's Nest Pass have been so supportive of us building this race out. And it's so exciting for me to drive down there like on Thursday and just see like there's hundreds of bikes, there's bike racks, cars, all these, all these cars with bike racks on them with, uh, with bikes on top. And it's just like, you can feel like there's an energy and a buzz, oh, yeah. um, happening there. And it's, it's really, really cool. And it's a real trip to be like, oh my God, this is all. Cause I had a crazy idea driving home one day. <laughs> you started it. It's your yeah. fault. Is it just it you is. and Sasha? Totally is that it? Yeah. We're a two man band. <laughs> That's it. We do everything. Sasha, so then from a, once we've got all of those pieces put into place, then Sasha does a ton of the heavy lifting. He gets down there early, um, and starts putting the course together. So he has like, um, like 
like the the beautiful mind he looks at the map and like all the images come out and to float into his head i think because it's one thing to say okay like here's the 50k route here's the 30k route here's the gravel loop um go pin flag it that sounds simple when i put it in those terms but when you look at a trail map of the area it is like spilled spaghetti like there is mm-hmm. trail there are trails everywhere they're all over the place. Um, some of them we can be on, some of them we can't be on, some of them we don't want to be on, um, and we have a very specific route planned. So you can't just head out and mark the whole 50K course. It takes days to mark the 50K course. So there's a lot of careful consideration given to drop off and pick up points. So Sasha will get like a volunteer sometimes uh, during the week, and he'll get dropped off at one terminus of a trail and then have a driver loop around. He'll get that piece of trail done, marked, and then he'll get reconnected to another piece and slowly build it that way, right down to considering um, how many arrow signs he needs to take with him and how many lefts and how many rights. And what speed you're going to be traveling at. Yeah, what speed you'll be traveling at when you need the warning, yeah. Totally. That comes with experience, though. Totally, yeah. So we've gotten, um, I I would say that our first attempt at course marking back in 26, uh, 2019 would probably be probably a six out of 10. And now it's like a 9.5, like it's tight and you can really not turn your brain off. You're still in the woods and you need to be aware of what's going on around you. And you definitely want to have a, a GPS map uh, downloaded onto your fully charged phone. Like, look, be responsible for yourself, right? We're very clear about that, mm-hmm. but the trail marking is awesome so exactly what you're saying if you're coming down a descent and you're going quickly bigger signs maybe multiple signs um and you try and warn people of uh you know hazards and then all of those types of things and then day then week end of you just you give yourself over to uh to the to the event and you just know that you're just going to spend the day reacting to things right you can have a plan but it gets thrown out the window pretty fast when like this past year we had a somebody broke a collarbone i think 20 minutes in it's like it's just surprises and then on sunday as you know because you were there there was a search and rescue going on uh this past year yeah um what unfortunately not, not anybody in the race for a no. fisherman that had been racing or had been uh missing for a few several days at that point but yeah that landed a little bit of complexity it but did. i mean you guys you guys gave us a good pre-race briefing and um it, you know to respect that and to not whatever you do get in anybody's way that's trying to 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 carry out a rescue and uh, yeah, the, the volunteers are great. You guys had the, uh, the aid stations at the right spots. If somebody needed them, you could conceivably do the, uh, the big loop on the, I guess, are you going to have a smaller gravel bike loop this year than the two, than the two big loops? Or no, is be, it three big loops? Yeah, it'll be three. So you can do the, the fifth 53 uh, or like 106 or 159. That's right. Today. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I, I, I did the, the big one last year and um, you can do it without uh, stopping at the aid stations if you have, you know, two bottles of water on. And, and um, however, you could also do with one bottle of water, take your time and use the aid stations. It's it's that kind of race. And you get all levels of people from people who are hammering to uh, to win and the people who are just out there for a real wilderness experience with a little bit of a backup because of the fact you've got volunteers out there, trail markings people driving the course to make sure everybody's okay. And uh, it's, it's highly recommended. So let's talk about the nitty gritty. I haven't done the mountain bike race, but 
it's standard equipment for a mountain bike race for sure. But for the gravel race, you definitely have to have a gravel bike. There's very, very little pavement on it. It's, it's, it can be hard packed gravel. It could be muddy depending on what's going on, or it could be that terrible loose gravel that happens after they just add gravel to a road. And then you've got what we call fines on the road where you've got these ridges of loose gravel. So I'd recommend like a minimum tire width of about a 35 and uh, you definitely need gravel tires. It's, it's generally hard packed, um, but it's all going to be weather dependent. And uh, like um, uh, Pete said, you've got to be self-sufficient. You have to be able to, you know, fix a flat tire for sure, which is a really good possibility when you're going down a gravel road at 70 kilometers an hour. And, uh, and then really watch your, your nutrition because there are some big hot climbs um, where you are in the saddle grinding uh, you know, pretty near the top of the block on your rear cassette. And uh, you can easily get in a situation where you get to the top of a climb where there's no water up there and you're uh, starting to bonk. So eat a lot, eat more than what you think you need and, uh, and, and, enjoy, and enjoy the race. It's a, it's a pretty spectacular uh, location. And you can always bail after one or two uh, laps if you want, because you can, you always come back past the lodge. So it's, uh, there is that opportunity, but highly recommended. And I remember last year, there was a girl who, uh, the race, uh, I think the course was closed, but she was bound and determined to fix it or to finish it. Do you remember that? Yep. And so it was, it was great. It was like, she was loving it. She was loving the absolute pain and suffering out there. And she wanted to get it done. And, and there was this conversation about how she was going to do it. And it was, it was, I, I watched Pete negotiate this with her. And I think she was with her mom, if I remember right, who was going to, going to follow in a four wheel drive down the gravel roads and make sure she's okay. It was, it was cool. So it's a, it's a, not only a race, but it's a, it's a, a like a real wilderness experience. So highly recommended. Now, um, when does it start? August what? August 5th is the mountain bike race and August 6th is the gravel race. So yeah, they're not the same course at all. Very much a mountain bike race, very much a gravel race and the gravel race, like a hardtail mountain bike or something would also be fine. You know, if you're not trying to win, That'd be yeah, a great, true. A great bike for that course with, with yeah. chubby tires yeah. and be very comfortable and super powerful brakes. You'd probably appreciate that too. So, you know, ride the bike you have, like don't overthink it. Um, it's more about community and experience. So yeah, it's, it's actually the way that it lands because of the weekend we're trying to select it on. It's actually August long weekend this weekend. So hit and miss, right? Some people have family plans. Some people love it because they've got a little bit of extra time built around that. So, um, but yeah, uh, mountain biking and then, uh, August 5th and, uh, gravel August 6th. And, um, then we just deal with all of the potential variables, right? Like weather, smoke, wild, yeah. uh, wildlife, just, yeah. there's going to, there's going to be surprises. We know there is, and we just kind of give ourselves over to the weekend and just deal with things as they come up. That's if it. You're doing this that's sport, though. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's, um, Whatever, whatever happens to you on a big day out in the woods and you, all the variables you consider that happens to us times, you know, whatever, 250, 300 people. Yeah. And bring the right clothing guys. When you go out there, don't expect it's going to be 27 degrees sunny with the light wind. I mean, this is the Canadian Rockies. For example, right now we have a snowfall warning in the Rockies, not that far from where we're sitting and it's cold and rainy today. So that could roll in in August. That's not the normal weather for the Crow's Nest Pass in August. But you can get snow every month of the year here. And uh, so bring the right gear, bring warm gloves, bring the proper, uh, if you want knee warmers or, or jackets or whatever. And on the race day, you make the call whether you need it or not. But uh, be prepared, have everything in your vehicle so that you can go 
grab it out when all of a sudden it goes down to eight degrees and windy and cold. So, or we have cold How starts we... and hot days. Yeah. 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 That's right. You do have cold starts. Yeah. Typical Rockies. You're freezing at the start. And by the end of the day, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die of the heat. So, yeah. But both, both races, uh, you're into a climb pretty early on. So you'll warm up warm. fast. Yeah. Do you ever? <laughs> okay. So, uh, how do we find you, Pete? Crow's Nest Pass 100.com. He's lying. It's not 100, you guys. It's more than 100. So I expected it to be 100. It's more than 100. So he's he's underselling. And no, you, you are under promising and over delivering on it. That's right. We're adding value <laughs> every turn. <laughs> you got free kilometers. Yeah. So it's a Crow's Nest Pass 100.com. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you can uh, track us down, get registered, uh, and any questions, um, hit us up. There's a contact page there. It'll come right to me, and I will get back to you. Instagram account is at uh, Crow's Nest Pass 100, is it? Yes, it is. Okay, you so you guys yeah, have an Instagram hit us up there account? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Instagram, Facebook, those are the best places to get us. Yeah. F- feedback from our last episode. What are people saying about... Uh... About no rest days. That's, uh, I did have a people, a few people agree that that was a bit of a hot take. (laughs) I actually had one person say, okay, break down what rest means a little bit more. Like, what does that actually mean? So to clarify, yeah, I'm not, I think, I think we got to this point, but we are definitely, I'm not doing hardcore zone five training every day. No, not at all. But do you, you asked me early on today, um, I did a huge solo ride a couple weekends ago and I was out jogging with my kids the next day and then for a little ride in the woods near my house. Easy, easy, easy. That's what, that's what a recovery day is to me. Right. So it's still active. And I probably did um, maybe 30 minutes of strength training, not Good. super hardcore either, but that's, that's what it is. So I just, um, I've made it a non-negotiable um, and it's worked for me. Although now that I've said it so publicly, I do feel a little bit of pressure to keep it up, which is probably good. That, but that's, that's good. I mean, it, that's the point of the yeah, podcast exactly. is to be, be a paddle for somebody, right? Like when I get a message from somebody that I haven't met saying, I love your pod. I just sent you a, a review that we had on Apple the other day. So somebody mm-hmm. saying that how excited they are for it to come out, not a friend of either of ours. Um, that, and, and, that, and that they've been more active than they've been in a year because of the podcast. Like, yeah. That's all I need out of it. That's super cool. Just remember guys that uh if you if you look at my um if you look at my Strava, if you look at what I do, I'm fifty four years old and I and I have a real job and um I don't have Very rest days and and um and I'm not limping around injured or or regretting it. Um so I think what uh what we talked about in the last podcast is super important. I had a really good comment on Twitter about it from the owner of Bike Bike, a bike shop here in Calgary. And he just responded, rest is a verb. I love that. So take that away when you guys think that a rest day means putting your feet up and watching the uh, Tour de France uh, Netflix documentary. That's awesome. That's Sean Carter, right? Sean said rest is a verb. And I thought, I just went, whoa, perfect. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. That's that is the best way to put it. So that'll be that'll be our other hashtag. No days off and yeah. rest is a verb. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, thank you to Sean. That's exactly it. 
Where well, I think we? we should end on the uh, <laughs> yeah. on we the rest as a verb. Thanks again for tuning into the podcast. We really do appreciate that. Uh, it does mean a lot to us. There's so many great podcasts out there. I say that all the time. Uh, for you to spend a little bit of your time with us means an awful lot. Again, positive ratings or review go, reviews go a long way to helping us reach new audience members, uh, as does subscribing. So whatever podcast platform you find the show on, there is a subscribe function on there. And if you press that, uh, you will get downloaded episodes and that helps us reach new listeners also. So positive ratings, reviews. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We'll try and be back next week. Thanks.